Good morning, and it's wonderful to be with you today. It's an honor for me to be invited to come and to stand before you and to speak for you today and to open the Word of God. I, uh, I have never been here before. This is my first time. So it's a, it's a delight. It is an honor. It's a joy. And I've anticipated this and look forward to this for some time. I'm glad to have my wife and one of my daughters with me and then a young man who is aspiring to be an evangelist named R.C. with, with us today. And of course, um, those of you who may not know me, my name is Jimmy Kading, and I am um, working with the congregation in Oakdale, California. My, my family and I, we, we moved here about two years ago to California from the big state of Texas. And uh, before that, we lived in Oklahoma, and we lived there, worked with the church there for three years. Then we worked with the church in uh, Texas for 17 years, uh, where uh, Penny's brother goes to church, David Tate. And so um, had uh, wonderful, wonderful opportunities, and this is a, this is a great uh, blessing to be here. We love California, actually. We, we've enjoyed the, the work and we are thankful for the foundation that has been laid before we got here. Much uh, thanks goes to Brother Frank and the work that he has done with the leadership there at Oakdale. So I'm humbled to be here. I'm thankful. I'm grateful to be here. And anytime I'm invited to speak to someone about the gospel of Christ, that is the greatest blessing there is. That is the, the joy of my life. And I hope and I pray that, that I will never take that for granted. This morning, to introduce our thoughts, as you can see on the screen, I'd like to take our reading from John chapter 5. I want to read beginning at verse 1. <clears throat> An incident that occurred in the life of Jesus that is really profound, powerful. After this, there was a feast of the Jews... And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no, one, or no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. Wow, what a, what a great record of an amazing miracle that was performed 
on a man that was in a condition for a long, long time. And so this morning I want to talk about this story and make some application and the lesson will be yours. Before we go into it any further, though, we want to pause to pray. Many on our hearts, no doubt, and in our minds that need our prayers. So let us humble in some fashion while we pray together. It's too late. It's too late. It's too late. No doubt that is one of Satan's most effective tools. It is one of the most destructive lies. In fact, the longer you believe it, the truer it seems to be. The phrase, it is too late, has been declared by the doubtful and the despondent. It is said by the couple who have been married for years, but they're having problems. And they come to a crossroad. And they have what seem to be insurmountable issues. But instead of getting help, instead of getting counsel, they head for divorce, saying, it's too late. Two grown adult sisters who haven't spoken to each other in years. They carefully arrange their schedules and coordinate their schedules while their mother is in a hospice care as to avoid talking to each other and reconciling with one another. And if you were to ask them, why don't you talk? Why don't you reconcile? They'd say, it's too late. Too much hurt. Too much time. A 19-year-old young man struggling with a serious addiction. He's given up. When he's encouraged to talk to someone who has actually overcome the same problem, he will say, it's too late for me. 19 years old. It's too late. That's the response of many who have reflected upon a life of neglect, of rebellion, who are now overcome and overwhelmed with guilt and shame because of their sins, but they feel like it is too late to do anything about it. And so this lie, it is too late, it is resounded into the echoes of the heart and the mind and it, it creates a helpless, hopeless condition and perspective. The kids are too old. The marriage is too cold. The friend is too angry. The debt is too overwhelming. The addiction is too powerful. The reputation, it is too shot. The sin, it's too great. It's too late. And that's a lie. And that's a lie that the word of God is sharp enough to cut through. That is a lie that the word of God is bright enough to penetrate the darkness of every hopeless condition. The message of Jesus Christ is that it is not too late. 
It is not too late to start over. It is not too late to make a difference. It is not too late to say I'm sorry, to ask for help. It is not too late to be forgiven and for the sins to be forgotten. It's not too late. Well, in John chapter 5, Jesus encounters a man who is in a situation that no doubt he thought was too late to change. He, Jesus entering Jerusalem arrives at a pool called Bethesda. And this is where a multitude of sick people would lay around and wait in the hopes of healing. Blind, lame, paralyzed. John adds that they were waiting for the moving of the water for an angel would come down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. This is a, an intriguing insertion here in the, the text to me. It seems like there is good reason to believe that John is actually inserting these words to merely explain a local superstition uh, or an expectation. John is uh, letting us understand the mindset of the multitude. And thus, this is merely an explanation of a local belief that these waters of Bethesda actually had healing power. Some believe that they did. Some believe it was merely a superstition. Uh, Kaufman comments that if there had been any virtue in the waters of the pool, it seems highly incredible that they should have been efficacious only at indeterminate intervals, only for such a short while. And even then, only for the person who got into them first. That seems to make sense to me. How would a holy and loving and fair God, would a, he would allow such a cure only for uh, the first one in? And having a, a group of disabled people to rush and push and um, make their way? That seems a little unfair, a little um, dis... Uh, Organized, a little uncompassionate. But whatever the case is regarding what this actually meant, this was a place where people would go to find help, find hope, believing that they could get help. But in John 5 and verse 5, we have this insertion as well. Now a certain man was there who had had an infirmity for 38 years. That's a long time. 38 years. Just look at your life. Maybe you're not 38 years yet. Maybe you are. But regardless of how young or how old you are, 38 years, that's a long time. 38 years. That's nearly 14,000 days. 14,000 days that have come and gone and things haven't changed very much at all for this man. He had this problem and he was in that situation for 14,000 days. And I'm not sure exactly when it happened, but after enough days and weeks and months and years, eventually he would lose optimism. He would become pessimistic that anything would ever change. But what's surprising to me is that regardless of his pessimism, he is still at the well. He is still at the pool. He is still there 
holding on, regardless of the fact that he had been there for so long. And whenever there is a thread of hope, there's always a chance to build a bridge of faith. And this man is going to experience, even though he had been 38 years in this condition, on this day, it's going to be different because on this day, Jesus is going to pass by. And friends, whenever Jesus passes by, it can make a difference. It can make a world of difference. It can change everything. Doesn't always, but it most certainly can. And in verse 6, Jesus when he saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Now that is probably one of the most intriguing questions we can read from the lips of Jesus. Do you want to get well? What kind of question is that? Because uh, doesn't it seem a little unnecessary? Why, <laughs> why in the world would a man uh, who is lame be at a pool of healing? Don't you want to get well? Isn't it obvious? The question seems fairly unnecessary. But this question is far from it. In fact, this is the common methodology that Jesus utilizes in his approach with people. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 51, he says to a blind man, what can I do for you? Isn't that obvious? And now he says to a sick man, do you want to get well? Unnecessary. Not at all. And the longer I live and the more I preach, the more I can see the wisdom in that question. Because here's what I've learned that Jesus already knew. There's a lot of people who like hanging around the pool, but they don't really want to get better. There's a lot of people who want to go to church, but they don't want to change. There's a lot of people who don't mind opening up their Bibles, reading it, makes them feel good. Uh, they even like to listen to sermons, but uh, they're not interested in doing anything different. There's a lot of people who like the lifestyle but they don't really want to change theirs. And so, do you want to get well? Is a very important question because Jesus knew that a person who doesn't want help can't be helped. Now that seems cold and calloused, but that's really the truth. And there's nothing that a preacher can do there's nothing that a family member can do. There's nothing the church can do. And yea, even Jesus. There's nothing that Jesus can do if a person doesn't want to get well. But that raises the question. Why wouldn't anyone, and why wouldn't everyone, in such a sickening, sad state, want to be made well? Why is this question necessary? Well, let me give you a couple of possibilities. This question is necessary because um, 
we can live in such a situation for so long that we begin to deny the reality or we begin to, un, uh, we begin to not notice the seriousness of the situation that we're in. I suppose this is probably the case for a man that had been sick for 38 years, denying the seriousness of the situation. After that long of time, it is likely that he lost sight of what life could be like, what life could actually feel like if he were better. After all, he was surrounded day after day by people who were sick and in difficult circumstances, and this became his normal, this became his life, this became his identity. And when something becomes normal and something becomes your life and your identity, well, it's kind of difficult to see things the way it ought to be. And the nature of sin can cause us to be lulled into a sense of comfort, a new normal, a situation that we don't necessarily like, but we're used to it. And it can deceive us and lull us into a false sense of security. The Hebrew writer would tell us in chapter 13 and verse thir- uh, chapter three, rather, verse 13. Uh, it speaks of the deceitfulness of sin. We grow accustomed to it. We settle with it. I saw a documentary one time. I think it was on the Learning Channel, um, maybe the History Channel, one of those uh, documentary channels. And it was documenting a man who had a 600-pound tumor. Now think about that. And how he was going to have that removed. Now, it was not just documenting uh, the tumor itself, of course, but the psychology of the man who allowed it to get so bad. And, of course, um, he thought in the beginning, initially, it was something that could be contained, and if he would just leave it alone, it would just take care of itself. And we know that's the way it can be with us. We can be like that with our own problems. If we just ignore it, maybe leave it alone, maybe it will just stay where it is, and time will take care of it. Let's wait and see if it'll get better. But all time does is allow the tumor to grow bigger in our homes or even in our hearts. And by the time the man realized that it was not going to take care of itself, he had reached the point that he was too embarrassed by how bad he had let things become. And so he was afraid to ask for help because he was ashamed that other people would see how bad it was and he just couldn't get past the shame. And that's true for a lot of us as well. We don't want people to know how bad the tumor is in our lives. It's much easier to buy into the lie that it's too late than to admit that... uh, that uh, things have become so bad. It's much easier to say it's too late than to tell a friend about your struggle. It's a lot easier to say it's too late than to try to reconcile a relationship because that's work and it can get awkward. 
It's a lot easier to say it's too late than to humble yourself and to get the help that you might need for a drug problem or alcohol addiction or a pornography problem or a gambling habit. You know, we can become so ashamed of how our condition has grown out of control that we just allow it to become our new normal. Instead of reaching out and seeking help, we just are in denial of the reality of what is and we stop thinking of what can be. It's a lot easier to say, I, will, I, I can never change. Things could never be better. Or I could never be forgiven than to take the difficult steps necessary for repentance. So do you want to get well? That is a question, isn't it? For all of us to ask. Necessary, because not everyone does, because they deny the reality of their situation. Here's another reason why that question is necessary. For many and most of us, is because we don't really want to change because we're afraid of it. We're afraid to change. We're afraid because change is painful. Jesus taught us in John 3 and verse 20, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his de deeds should be exposed. He compares the truth of his word, the saving, transforming power of the gospel to a light in the darkness. And we understand what that does, how painful that can be. If you were a teenager, especially a teenager, you understand if you're asleep in the dark room and somebody flips the light on, uh, you don't like it. You wince, you squint, you throw the blanket over your face. You may even yell, turn it off, because light is painful to the eyes when they have grown accustomed to the dark. And yet, in our own lives, and in our own sinful practice, in our darkness, when others try, even if they are the most humble and loving in their approach, we don't much appreciate because it rubs us the wrong way. It challenges us. It uh, is all up in our business, and we don't like that, do we? One man said, we can easily forgive a child who's afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. Change is painful. Earl Nightingale he, uh, wrote, you will remain the same until the pain of remaining the same becomes greater than the pain of change. You know what, though change is also risky, it's risky because in our normal and in our comfort zones, we know what to expect. We know what the expectations are. And so it can be risky when we change, when we make the steps to change our lives or to do better. There's a lot of benefits to being by the edge of the pool. So we don't change. There's comfort in the status quo. Do you know of somebody who, uh, when they get sick, they kind of like it? They kind of enjoy it? 
Oh, not that they like being sick, but they kind of like the perks that come with the, the pool. They like the low expectations. They like the attention, the sympathy, not having to try so hard. And when it comes to our spiritual health, so many of us settle. You know it's not ideal. You know it's not the way that you should stay for very long. And uh, you're comfortable though and you remain in that situation because it takes too much risk to do anything differently. But Jesus asked the man, do you want to get well? And I want you to notice his response. Sir, I have no one. I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. He doesn't answer the question with a yes or a no. He answers the question with I can't. I can't. Do you want to get well? And he immediately begins to explain the excuses as to why he can't get well. In a book written by doctors Frank Minnereth and Paul Meyer entitled Happiness is a Choice, uh, they make this observation I thought was interesting to me. I'll share it with you. As psychiatrists, we cringe when Christian patients use the words, I can't and I've tried. Any good psychiatrist knows that I can't and I've tried are merely lame excuses. We insist that our patients stop saying can't and say won't instead. Now, so evidently when somebody comes into their office and they need some help and they say, I can't get along with my wife. They make them rephrase that and they have to say, I, I won't get along with my wife. I can't break this habit to I won't break this habit. I can't get my spending under control to I won't get my spending under control. And they have learned that if you can get people to the point to where they change their can'ts to won'ts, they stop making excuses and they start, start taking some action. They look at their problem in a different way. And for some of us, that is the problem. We just say, I can't. But the reality is we won't. Now something I've noticed about myself, and I've kind of made this observation about other people as well. You can correct me if I'm wrong. It may be your observation too. But people will do what they really want to do. They really want to, they'll do it. They'll find a way. If there is a will, there is a way. They'll find a way to do it. That's the way it is in lots of things, in life in general. But cer certainly when it comes to our spiritual health and our spiritual lives, we will do what we want to do when we see, when we're motivated 
And when we are inspired to change. Now, here's the problem with this man, though. He says, I can't. And you know what? He can't. He really couldn't get to the pool by himself, and nobody was there to help him until Jesus came. And when I look at this story, I look at it as a microcosm of the gospel itself. It is a situation that we all face. In reality, we had a crippling and debilitating problem called sin that we couldn't fix on our own and no one could help us until Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 26, I'll not read that whole section, but you'll see where Paul uh, talks about how that not many wise, not many noble, not many mighty are called by the gospel. They all hear the same gospel, but not all respond to it. Who, who don't respond? The mighty, the noble, the wise. Why don't the mighty, noble, and wise respond to the gospel? Those educated folks that know more than those who are on the other side of the tracks. Why? Why don't they? Because they're too busy getting to the pool on their own. Or those that don't even think they need the pool. The message of the gospel, the message of the cross, yes, it's perishing to those who are, or it is a foolishness, rather, to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to those who are saved. The gospel will only save those who are humble enough to admit that they are lost and they can't do it on their own. There are people who will never obey the gospel because they will not acknowledge they need the gospel. The reason it is good news is because there's bad news and most people don't really appreciate or are aware of the bad news. That they're lost. And they'd be separated eternally from God if they died in such a state. And there's nothing they could have done, they could, there's nothing they could do to fix their problem separate and apart from a holy, pure atoning sacrifice that God would make for them through his son, the Lamb of God. And so this man acknowledges his need and he learns that with Jesus it's not too late. And Jesus, after he brushes aside all of the excuses that he's made, he basically is standing before this man to say, I am your answer. I can tell you what you need to do. And here's what it is. Rise up, take up, and walk. He doesn't just leave the man, but he gives the man something to do. Something that would require, yes, trust and faith and an attempt to do exactly as Jesus said. And after 38 years... After nothing had changed all this time, this man's life changed. And he met Jesus. He learned that it was not too late to get up, take up, and walk. For the woman of John 8 who was caught in adultery, she had learned that it was not too late 
For Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And for Simon Peter, who denied the Lord three times, and in his shame, weeping bitterly, no doubt thought, how could I ever regain my footing? How could I ever be restored? How could I ever regain the trust of the Lord? And yet the Lord reaffirms, gives Peter the, the opportunity to reaffirm his love when he said, feed my sheep. And for Saul of Tarsus, who persecuted innocent Christians, consenting at their deaths, he learned that even for him it was not too late. For he was told to arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And maybe you need to learn it too. Maybe that's the case with you. You don't have to settle. You don't have to be put into that box of identity of who you've always been. You don't have to, you don't have to be that way. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to let the past define you. But the question is, do you want to get well? John 14, or in John 5, 14, afterwards Jesus found him in the temple and he said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. Jesus is telling him, you've been healed physically. There's something more important. And there's something worse than physical problems and physical sickness. He says, you need to make sure you don't sin lest the worst thing come upon you. This morning, as we look at this concept, I don't, I don't want to leave the impression that it's, it's never too late. Because it is. The Bible teaches us that we are to number our days. Ask God, teach us to number our, understand that we have limited opportunity, limited time. Psalm 39, verse 4, O Lord, make me to know my end and uh, what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. It's good for us to understand that we have the precious gift of time, but it's also equally important for us to know that time is precious because it is limited. It is not going to stay in it's not going to last forever. We see it. Jesus teaches that parable in Luke 16. Of the rich man and Lazarus. And where this man, he had lived his life faring sumptuously every day. Whining, whining himself and dining himself. He had everything that he needed, everything that he wanted, and the comforts of his mansion. And then he dies. And he ends up in torment. And he sees the beggar who had laid at his gate, beg, uh, who had begged day in, day out for the crumbs that would fall from his table. And he sees him in uh, paradise, Abraham's bosom. And now the tables of God's justice have turned and instead of the, the beggar desiring a crumb, now the rich man begs for a drop of water off the tip of another man's finger. He can't get it. 
And Father Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, likewise Lazarus evil things. But uh, he now is comforted and you are tormented. And besides this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. It is a separation. It is uh, not just a separation, but it is a permanent, stable, fixed, deep, eternally settled Separation. It is too deep to be filled. It is too wide to be crossed. It is fixed. It is unalterable in its na nature. Those who are here cannot go to there, and those who are there cannot go to here. There is no hope. And once we end up there, it is too late. That's the message. It's too late. There's no hope of ever getting out. Now today, it's not too late. But what we do with the time and what, how we make the most of it is up to us. It's not too late, is it, until it's too late. And maybe you're here this morning and you're not yet a child of God. Maybe you have been sitting in your denial. Maybe you have been just been content to stay where you are, afraid to change, to take the risk, to do anything different. Maybe you haven't grown like you need to. Maybe you are a Christian, but you haven't grown like you need to. You haven't, haven't matured like you, and you think, well, nothing's going to change. Nothing's ever going to change for me. Well, it's up to what you want and what you make of it. The one who can change you is standing before you, asking you, do you want to get well? And it's up to you. And he says, rise up, take up, and walk. And if you've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, why don't you do that today? Come believing in him, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith, and be baptized to have your sins washed away. And you'll have the opportunity to go on your way rejoicing. Not healed from a physical infirmity, but that which is going to cause you to be eternally separated from God. Taken away, forgiven and wiped out, blotted out, and remembered against you no more. And if we can assist you, if you've never taken that step, what are you waiting on? I don't know the audience. This is my first time here. Maybe you have. Maybe you have. If you haven't, what are you waiting on? We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.